We find ourselves in John chapter 15 today, just to recap where we had left off and to where we find ourselves in these set of verses. We, we came to a big point, a big turning point at the ending of John 14, as the last few words of verse 31 of chapter 14, the last verse of that chapter says something that is so vital, so important, so crucial. When Jesus looks at them and tells them, get up, let us go from here. In view of the cross, knowing that the cross lies ahead of him, knowing that uh, the agony of the cross is separation from the Father, uh, that the Father will crush him, knowing all this is just moments away, knowing that that's what lies ahead of him. He says, let us go. Get up. Because this is the plan of the Father, and this is the only way of redemption. And all those were his. He loved them all the way to death. And we find ourselves now that as they begin to leave the upper room, they will start to make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. We find that in chapter 18, they, they cross the ravine of the Kidron Valley there, and then they, he gets ready, him and his disciples, to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. So when you are reading chapter 15 and 16 and 17, in the back of your mind, know that they are leaving the upper room, and this, uh, these chapters are on their way. They're progressing to the Garden, to where he will be arrested. Get up, let us go from here. What a powerful uh, command and a statement that is that we find from the lips of our Lord. And after that, we come to chapter 15. As they are getting up and leaving, we come to chapter 15. And I remind you of this, that these are some of the last words that we will find Christ speaking. I mean, he's getting ready to be arrested. We find that he's going to be on trial. He's going to be crucified. The number of words that he has to say to them is winding down. And if you remember last week, he tells them that. I don't have many more words to speak to you. So the importance of these words are growing as the cross is looming. Which brings us to chapter 15. We're going to read. Uh, the, the, the whole day will cover the first six verses. So we'll read the first six verses. But we won't cover all six verses this morning. Here's what he says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Today, in this first service, we will be covering the first five words. I am the true vine. What does he mean by that? Such importance. What a bold statement he makes. And what does it mean? Well, let's pray before we unpack those six words. Five words, excuse me. Our Father, again, we come to you 
and we ask for help. Father, I ask that the spirit of truth would lead me into truth, guard me from error, Father. Let me explain it clearly. And Father, I pray we are desperate for the spirit of truth to bring these verses to, to life in our hearts and our souls. Father, let us feel the weight of what is, it has been spoken here on the way to the garden. God, we need you. And we pray humbly that you reveal yourself more to us today than you ever have in your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am the true vine. What does that mean? Well, you've probably heard this a million times. You've probably have read chapter 15. And if we're not careful, we read I'm the true vine and we start thinking about the fruit and we start thinking about the analogy he's making here. And all those things we'll learn about tonight. What is he meaning by he's the vine and, and, and those who are his, they abide in him. Well, we're going to, again, you're going to see this theme that we cannot get away from. The way that we produce fruit, the way that we are not burned in the eternal fire that he's talking about here, is simply our union with him, abiding in him, resting in him. It is the union that we had. We've talked about this for so many weeks, our union with his sonship. Again, we'll talk about that tonight, but that's tonight. Good Lord willing, we may not be here tonight, but if we are, that's the plan. But I want to really just take these few words here. I am the true vine. And really, we have to have a good understanding of what he's meaning here for any of this to really flow and make sense from here on out. Well, we come to those first two words, I am. And we have looked at this throughout the gospel according to John, that there are seven big I am statements that we find in the gospel according to John. They're there on your paper. You can see them. He says in John 6, I am the bread of life. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the door of the sheep. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here we come to the last of the I am statements before he will be crucified. And it is, I am the true vine. We've said it before, but we have to repeat it every time just to Remind ourselves of the importance of those two words. The Greek word here, the words that are used are ego, I mean. And this is the name of God, Yahweh, that was given to Moses in response to his answer, who will send him. We find that in Exodus 3.14. So here Jesus is declaring his deity. He is saying that he is Yahweh. He is claiming a, his deity and that he is God by those two words, I am. And then he links it with a way to describe him. And and here we find, I am the true vine. We'll talk about this tonight as well, but this I am statement is unique. This I am statement is different than all the other statements. And you ask yourself, well, why? Well, if you look after what he says, I am the true vine, we find that answer. Here in this I am statement, it's directly in conjunction with the father. I am the true vine, comma, my father is the vine dresser. So him being the true vine and his father being the vine dresser, they're connected into this statement that he makes. This is unique as the cross is looming. So what is he saying here? Well, we have to go back to the Old Testament. Can you believe that? Surely not. We wouldn't look back to the Old Testament to find uh, that it is pointing to Christ. And, and here in this statement is no different. And here's what we need to know, that in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, 
was referred to as the vine or the vineyard. And you've got a lot of verses. We've got a lot of verses to read. But you know what I think can explain things better than any preacher? Just reading the Word. It says it so much more beautifully and deeply than any of us could ever do. So when we read these verses, I want you to listen to the theme of what he's saying here. Israel was referred to as the vine or the vineyard. That's going to come into this whole meaning of what he's trying to say. We find this first verse, set of verses in Isaiah chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. The Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. Speaking of Israel, the plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. He's speaking of the judgment and the false leaders here that were bringing about this, uh, this act of horrific nature against the people of Israel. Again, we find that he's talking about the vineyard. Speaking of Israel, in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, it says this, Let me sing now for my beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedges and it will be consumed. I will break down its walls and it will be tramp become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no more on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. We have to labor this point. So this is why we're doing this. We're laboring the, these verses to show you that in the Old Testament, it is Israel who is referred to as the vine or the vineyard. And he's saying, listen, I, I planted it. It was to produce good grapes, but it did not. He's declaring judgment on Israel. That's his vineyard. They produced bad fruit. They were not producing the good righteous fruit here. Isaiah 27. Here we talk about Israel again. In the day the Lord will punish the Leviathan, the fleeing spirit, with his fierce and great and mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. In that day, a vineyard of wine, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day. I have no wrath. Should someone give me briars and thorns in battle, then I would step on them. I would burn them completely or let him rely on my protection. Let him make peace with me. Let him make peace with me. In the days to come, Jacob or Israel will take root. Israel will blossom and sprout and they will fill the whole world with fruit. Again, Israel is the vineyard. Israel is the vine. Uh, Psalms. Psalm 80, verses 1 through 14. 
Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your power and come to save us. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the people of your or the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears and you have made them to drink tears in large measure. You make us an object of contention to our neighbor and our enemies laugh among themselves. O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. You removed a vine from Egypt. Who did he remove out of Egypt? It would have been the nation of Israel. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow, and the cedars of God with its bows. It was sending out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its hedges so that all who pass that way pick up its fruit? A boar from the forest eats it away, and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. O God of hosts, turn again now, we beseech you, look down from heaven and see, and take care of this vine. So here we have, it's the vine who's been brought out of Egypt. That would have been the nation of Israel. Laying the foundation, Israel, referred to as the vine or the vineyard. Jeremiah chapter 21, or chapter 2, verse 21. Yet I planted you a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? And then we can look into the New Testament and we look at this parable this, that Jesus teaches and it talks about a vineyard and a vine and, and it's talking about Israel and its leaders in it. Listen to this. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it, and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and rented it out to vine growers, and went on a journey. When the time of the harvest approached, he sent slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one, and killed another, and stoned a third. So these ones that are in charge of the vineyard, these are the false teachers, these are the, the religious leaders, if you will, of Israel. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. Speaking of Christ, they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, we're going to find out tonight that's the vine dresser. What will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at their proper seasons. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in their eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. He's saying, talking to the nation of Israel, the leaders there, and he's saying that this land is going to be taken away. This vineyard is going to be taken away and it's going to be given to those who produce the fruit. Speaking of the church, the Jew and the Gentile, it's going to be the nations and the Gentiles and mixed with the, the Jewish elect that will make the church. This is what he's saying. 
And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. They had brought this. They were the leaders of the nation of Israel. They were the religious leaders and they were producing forth the bad fruit. It would be the bad fruit that they would be producing that would bring judgment upon the nation of Israel. We find even in the Old Testament and the destruction of the temple. And we find it in the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. It is the vineyard in the vine that we find here as represented as Israel. I think we've made that point quite clear. Do we have more verses? Yes. But for time's sake, let us know that when he's talking about the vine in the vineyard, he's talking about Israel in the, New Te- or the Old Testament. And here's something that we take it a little step farther. That Israel in the Old Testament is referred to as a son. Listen to these verses. Exodus chapter 4, verses 21 through 22. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you before, before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So not only do we have Israel represented as the vine in the vineyard, we have Israel represented as the son, the firstborn. We had read Psalm 80, verses 1 through 14, talking about the vineyard earlier. But look what happens in the the following verses, verses 15 through 19. So after the vineyard, see if we see a reference to the son or the son of man. Even the shoot which which your right hand has planted... And on the son whom you have strengthened for yourself, it is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us, we will call upon your name. O Lord of hosts, Lord God of hosts, restore us, cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. So in Psalm 80, we have... The vineyard, we have the sun. We have Israel represented as the vineyard, Israel represented as the sun. We find another example of this in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The immediate context here is the nation of Israel. We read that earlier. He called the vine out of Egypt. He called, in Exodus 4, he calls Israel his son, his firstborn. Hosea says, out of Israel or out of Egypt, I called my son. Speaking of the nation of Israel. But where do we find this ultimate fulfillment? Well, we find that in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Speaking of Jesus, listen to this. Now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Do you think that's a coincidence? Just questioning that just for a second. Of all the places they could have fled, why did they flee to Egypt? Well, because in the Old Testament, the vine is representative of Israel and the sun is representative of Israel and the nation of Israel came out of Egypt. And here we have the sun, the vine coming out of Egypt. Listen, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search the child to destroy him. 
So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Israel is the vine in the Old Testament. Israel is the son in the Old Testament. And here Jesus says, get up, let us go. He says, I am the true vine. What is he saying? He is saying that I am the true Israel of God. I am the true son of God. I am the true Israel of God. By claiming this, he is saying that he's the true Israel of God. He's the true vine, the true son of man, the true servant of God. The nation of Israel was a vineyard and God had planted it. He expected it to produce fruit. However, as a nation overall, they rebelled against God. The fruit that they were producing in and of themselves was no good. It led to judgment. It led to exile. He had given them the law. They were unable to keep it perfectly. And when we look, all the promises given to Israel will be fulfilled in the true Israel of God, Christ Jesus as He is the true vine and the true Son. And we find that only those who are in the true vine, the true Israel of God, will produce any fruit that's pleasing to God. So when we look at the Old Testament, we look at the promises that were given to Israel, we know that those promises come through true Israel of God, the Son. We find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore, also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. All the promises are coming through Christ. All the promises of Israel coming through the true Israel of God, Jesus. That's what He means here. As He is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true Israel of God. Where the nation of Israel has failed as being the servant of God and, and fulfilling the law perfectly which they were given. All those things they failed in, I do not. I am the true servant of God. I am the true son. I am the true Israel of God. And we look, at, look how the New Testament begins. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's interesting. The son of David, all the promises, all the Davidic covenant, uh, that there would be a, a one who would rule and reign on the throne of David forever. Where did that promise that was given to Israel come into fulfillment at? It came through in Christ, the true Israel. The true son of David, the one who would reign forever. But we find that he says he's the son of Abraham. That's weird. Isn't it? Why would he be the son of Abraham? Well, Abraham's considered the father of Israel. And we know that Abraham was given a promise, wasn't he? About a son. And it would be through that son that this promise would be ultimately fulfilled. In the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as the son out of Egypt. We find that that is fulfilled in Christ who came out of Egypt, the true Son of God. And we go back to the type and shadow we talked about on Wednesday. Who is the son of Abraham in actual reality in his lineage? It was Isaac. 
And we look at that whole type and shadow that it was Isaac who carried the wood up to the place to where he would be crucified. He would willingly lay down his life in the same area that 2,000 years later, Christ would provide a lamb, a sacrifice there. Abraham is the father of Israel, and it's his son that this promise comes through, and that son is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, who's the seed of Abraham. All these promises are coming through the true Israel, which is Christ. We find that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. It is through Christ, the true Israel, that the promise to Israel comes. He's the one who fulfills all that. Such beauty in the Old Testament. Let us not mix, miss the point that it, all through Old Testament, Israel's divine. Israel's called the son out of Egypt. And here we find that fulfilled in Christ. The promise given to Abraham fulfilled in Christ. That's says here he's the father or the son of Abraham. So what's the point of that? What's the, what's the significance of this? What does it mean that he's the true Israel of God? Well, it means that as he is the true vine, the true Israel of God, all who believe in him are in union with him. And they are grafted into spiritual Israel through belief in Christ as he's the seed of Abraham. There's the nation of Israel, there's the ethnic people of Israel, and then there's spiritual Israel. Spiritual Israel is all those who believe by faith in the Son that was promised, Christ Jesus. All who believe in Him by faith are credited righteousness, have righteousness as Abraham did in Genesis chapter 15. See, Christ is the true Israel of God. So we become the spiritual Israel because our union with the true Israel of God. That's how we become spiritual Israel. We find that again. We've read this several times the last few weeks, but listen to it in Romans chapter 9, verse 6 through 9. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, there's the son, Isaac's foreshadowing of Christ, the true seed, your descendants will be named. That, it, it, that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So we are in spiritual Israel, not by ethnicity or by, Jew, or by our, the culture or, or the heritage of being a Jew. But spiritual Israel is of those who believe in the seed. The promise, the son that was given to Abraham and fulfilled in the true Israel, which is Christ. And then we find in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, And those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. That's the believer. We're the Israel of God because we're in union. We're going to find that we're abiding in the true vine, the true Israel of God. If you want to know how you and I can be spiritual Israel, and to be in union with that, it's by faith in the promise of the seed, the Son of God. The true Israel, the true vine, the true Son. And when we come and we are in union with Him, we are abiding in the true Israel of God, we are now spiritual Israel, sons of God. This is what he's meaning here. All the Old Testament promises, all the Old Testament things that were spoken about Israel, coming forth and being fulfilled into the true Israel of God, Christ Jesus Himself. 
when we begin to look at the nation of Israel, we begin to look at how it mirrors Christ, where they failed and he succeeded. We begin to look at this. We said that Israel was called the firstborn son and out of Egypt they came. Out of Egypt Christ came to fulfill that prophecy. We find that in Matthew 2. So Israel comes out of Egypt. Christ comes out of Egypt. And then they pass through the waters. Christ baptized by John the Baptist. And then after going through the water, the nation of Israel goes into the wilderness to be tempted. What does Christ do after he's tempted or after he's baptized? He goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. Israel, the nation of Israel failed. But the true Israel of God did not. He was perfect and without sin. And he's even quoting scripture to Satan there in that tempting in the wilderness that the people of Israel had gotten in their wilderness journey. Both out of Egypt, both through the water, both through the wilderness. One is failing, one is succeeding. And then they come into the wilderness and they're given the law of God. The nation of Israel is given the law of God and told that if you want to have righteousness by this, you better keep it perfectly. But you know the nation of Israel did not keep it perfectly. They were given the law of God and failed miserably. It brought judgment. It brought exile upon them. But the true Israel of God kept it perfectly. The true Israel of God kept every point of the law perfectly. That is our righteousness where the nation of Israel failed to keep the law perfectly, the true Israel of God keeps it flawlessly. It is His active obedience. You know this. It is His perfect life, His active obedience, fulfilling and, and completing every aspect of the law without sin. That is where our righteousness comes from. We have no righteousness on our own. We're going to find that tonight very quickly when He tells us that without Him, you can do nothing. What a sobering verse that is. You can produce no good fruit without Him. You have nothing of any righteousness without abiding in the true vine, the true Israel of God. He is the true Israel of God. He kept the law perfectly. And it is that completion of the law that He kept perfectly that He gives freely. He imputes to those who believe in the Son. led out of Egypt, passed through the water, into the wilderness to be tempted. One failed and one succeeded. The nation of Israel given the law, they failed. The true Israel of God kept it completely, kept it perfectly, which is why we have hope. And because of their sin and their rebellion, what happened to the nation of Israel? Judgment was brought upon them. And the true Israel of God had judgment brought upon him. But here's the difference. It wasn't anything that he deserved. The nation of Israel was warned over and over and over again. Repent, believe, repent, believe, repent, repent, repent. The, the prophets came and they refused it. It was their sin that judgment came. The temple destroyed, them led into exile. All that is because of their sin. Judgment came upon the nation of Israel because of sin. But the true Israel of God had judgment brought on him, but it wasn't his sin that this judgment came. It was the sin of all those who would be abiding in Him. 
it would be all those who would be spiritual Israel. He took the judgment for all those who are His. And then we look to the Old Testament to Israel. We, we see that Israel, the nation, was given the temple and the, the practice of the temple. All, all those things that we find in the temple, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't fulfill it. They couldn't complete it all. We look at the temple and we see that, uh, that there was a high priest. But these high priests were human and they had to make sacrifices for themselves. And the sacrifices they were making was animal sacrifices. And it could never take away the sin of the people. The nation of Israel could not do anything in and of themselves, the people therein, to take away sin permanently. But the true Israel of God does. The true Israel of God is the faithful high priest, is the one who's the true sacrifice offered at the temple. He is the suffering servant of God. We find that in Isaiah 53. This is what he's saying in those first five words of this chapter. Get up, let us go. And let me tell you this, I am the true vine. I am the true Israel of God. The nation of Israel failed. The true Israel of God succeeded in every way. Look at it again. Just go through the Old Testament and read Israel and look how they fail and Christ succeeds. It's so beautiful. Out of Egypt, through the water, through the wilderness, the law given. One fails and one succeeds. One has judgment placed on them for their sin. One has judgment placed on them for the sins of the people that are his. So important to know that he's the true vine. All those promises come through the true Israel of God. And that's why it's important to us because spiritual Israel are all the elect, that all those who believe, from the Jew and the Gentile, all those brought together, all those who believe, that is spiritual Israel. And the only way that we can have the promises given to Israel in spiritual Israel is that we are in union with the true Israel of God. That's the hope that we have. All those promises come through our union with the true Israel of God. It's quite remarkable. As a result of our union with the true Israel, the true vine, which is Christ, we are regarded as the spiritual Israel. And you remember what Israel was promised? In the Bible, we know that they were, they were promised a promised land. They were promised to come back to this promised land to inherit this earth you remember that promise given to them? Well, we as Christians, we will inherit the promised land one day, just as it was promised to Israel. Why? Because we as spiritual Israel are in union with the spiritual, or the Israel of God. And just as the Israelites made it to the promised land, that's a shadow. That's a shadow. 
of all spiritual Israel, finding home one day in the true promised land of God, our eternal home. All the exiles wondering will come back to our eternal home. How is this all possible? How were the promises given? They were fulfilled in Christ. And our union with Him allows us to be partakers of these things. This is so much more than what we've read it to be. He's saying He's the true Israel of God. And if you're not in union with the true Israel of God, you are not spiritual Israel. And if you're not spiritual Israel, we will find out what happens tonight. You will be gathered up. The vine dresser, the father, will come and gather up all those who are not true Israel. He will gather the branches that are barren and have no fruit. And he will cast them into the lake of fire forever. We will inherit the promised land one day. How is all this possible? Through him, the true vine. Think about it. He's going to the cross. He's going to be our high priest. Leviticus 16, all the things we see of Israel, the nation of Israel, the high priest, the day of atonement, all that is coming to, to take pass on the cross. He's the true Israel. The true temple, the true sacrifice, the true atonement. He failed, or he did not fail, where true, or the nation of Israel did. How is this possible? It's all possible by our union with Christ, the true vine, the true Israel of God. I hope this, we understand the weight of this, the significance of this, what it means to us as believers to be in union with the true Israel of God. Aren't you glad that he did not fail like the nation of Israel? He succeeded perfectly, flawlessly. And in our union with him, we have been grafted in. We're going to find out tonight that the vine dresser is the one who cares and tends for the garden. He's the owner of the garden. And if you wonder how you came to be into this abiding relationship, how you came to be planted into the vine now, I can tell you this, it was nothing of your own merit and your own power because without him, you could do nothing. It's the vine dresser who brought you into this union with the true vine, the true Israel of God, the true son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are the vine dresser that you are caring and tending for the vineyard. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we ask, Lord, that these words would come alive in our soul today. We would understand that the hope and the promises that we have are through you, our union with you, the true Israel of God. Lord, let us be in awe of that. Let us be in awe of the beauty of your word, how we look in the Old Testament. We see the nation of Israel failing, but we see the true Israel of God succeeding so that we could be spiritual Israel. That's the vineyard now. In the Old Testament, the vineyard was the nation of Israel, and now the vineyard is spiritual Israel. 
because we are in union with the vine. And you, Father, are overlooking the vineyard. You are caring for your people. And for that, we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, the true vine, we pray. Amen.